This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Good to see you here today. God bless all of you. If you're a guest, I welcome you. We're just going to jump into the Word. If you need a Bible, why don't you raise your hand? Our ushers would gladly get you the Word of God. Once you get a Bible, go with me the book of Ezekiel. Back there in the Old Testament. Way back there. Ezekiel chapter number 28. That's where we'll begin this morning. Right after Jeremiah. All right, as we're turning there, we're still on our series, An Enemy Called Average. We've got a good one for you today. That I believe it will speak to your heart. As you're turning to Ezekiel 28, one of the definitions for the word disciple or discipleship is submitting your own interest in favor of God's. Submitting your own interest in favor of God. That's, that's discipleship or being a disciple. So how that may look is, you remember there in Genesis 12, the man of God named Abraham, God said to Abraham, he said, I will multiply you. I'll bless you, I'll make your name great, and I'll bless you to be a blessing. Now, I want to highlight something there. God said, I will do it. I will do it. So too many times in our life, we want to do for God what God's supposed to do. And if I'm not careful, I start trying to promote myself or take the very place for God that who He is and say, look at me. Look at me. So we're going to discuss that a little bit. We'll get into some things here. So we begin in in Ezekiel 28, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, Thus says the Lord God, Because your heart is lifted up, and you say, or you even think, that I am a God. I sit in the seat of the gods, in the midst of the seas, yet you are a man, or only a man, and you are not a God, though you set your heart as the heart of a God. Now, because of this king's great wisdom and his wealth, he attributes himself to a position Greater than warranted. And so if we were to study this king here a little bit, you would find out that this is a man who has a root called pride in him. And so I don't know if you've ever really thought about the word pride, but stuck right in the middle is the letter I. And that's what's wrong with pride, is I become a a person of I or me. Now, in reading this right here, the God of me or the God of I, it's been around a long time. And so when I take on this thing called pride, you know who I act like? The devil. So turn where, just a page, same chapter, verse number 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation. Now, to help you a little bit with that word lamentation, the message says, raise up a funeral song. So it says, take up a, song, a funeral song for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God. Now, watch this here. You were the seal or the model of perfection. You were full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. And so when you look at this right here, now he's saying to this king of Tyre, you you resemble the devil. 
Now, this is who he's talking about here when you get in this. And, and you'll note here, he said he was the seal of perf- uh, uh, perfection. He was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Who created him that way? God did. And so let me ask you something right now. Does the gifts and the blessings that God's gifted you and blessed you with, does it cause you to gravitate toward him or to gravitate away from him? Now keep reading this. You are in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Now, look how, look how God dressed the devil. Look at this. The, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, and the emerald with gold. So can you imagine being in the Garden of Eden and seeing this cherub or this angel who at the time was named Lucifer dressed in all this splendor? I mean, God had decorated him incredibly. So keep reading here. The workmanship of your timbrels, your tambourines, and your pipes or your wind or, or, uh, instruments was prepared for you on the day you were created. Who created him? God did. You were the anointed cherub who covers I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. And so he was established with great authority. A high office. A unique opportunity. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. Till iniquity or wickedness was found in you. By the abundance of your trading you became filled with violence. Within, on the inside, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you out as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up or filled with pride because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. And so again, I believe when you look at this, the devil, he, he influenced this king just like he behaved. And the devil continually tries to do those things where he makes us try to have the thought, look at me. Look how special I am. Look how awesome I am. Now God created him that way, but when God creates us that way, he should be the one getting the glory. Not me. Now, I'm going to take you through a little bit of a journey here this morning, and I'm going to show you how none of us are exempt from this thing called pride. Go back to your left to the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 21. 1 Chronicles 21. If you're going the other way, you'll go to the uh, Samuels, the Kings, and into 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Now, as you turn here today, this is a passage about King David. Who established him as king? God did. If I was to take you to 1 Samuel, God said to Samuel the prophet, he said, I want you to go anoint the next king, and it was David. And remember, this was said about King David. He's a man after my own heart. 
Now, just because God uh, uh, ordained him or anointed him as the king, and just because it said that he was a man after God's own heart, that doesn't mean he was exempt from pride. So we start here, 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1. Now Satan stood up against Israel. Who did? The devil. And he moved David, or he influenced David, to number Israel. Now what this is talking about here, the devil is moving on him to say, Listen, David, take a census. Find out just how many people you got under you, okay? Keep reading. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan. And bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, and this is what he said to David, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. May the Lord do it. He didn't say, you do it. He said, may the Lord do it. But my Lord the King, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? Why should you be the problem upon Israel? Nevertheless, the king's words prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and he came to Jerusalem. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of people to David. All Israel had 1,100,000 men who drew the sword, and Judah had 470,000 men who drew the sword. 1,570,000. But he did not count Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's word or the king's command was abominable or detestable or repulsive to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he struck Israel. Why was God displeased? Because this man named David, who he anointed to be the king, he trusted more in his military power than he did on Father God. Now when you begin to look at this, this is what this says in here. Look at what I've done. Look at how great I am. And so instead of giving God all the glory, he began to take credit for what God had done. How many of us in this room have ever done that? I'll help you with that. Every one of us. Every one of us. Keep reading. So David said to God, I've sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I've done very foolishly. David acknowledges he was wrong. Verse 9. Then the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer. A seer was the man of God who would see into the spirit realm. Now, he, he's not here in this service, but many of you know the man Kelly Castleman that we've been great. He was in the first service. And I thought, man, what coincidental because there are modern day seers, I still believe, that they see into the spirit realm. So this guy's name is Gad. Keep reading, verse 10. Go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David, and he said to him, Thus says the Lord, choose for yourself. Now, when you begin to look at this right here, this was all a result of David's pride. 
And if you remember here, God spoke to Gad. He didn't speak to David. What happens with the area of pride is when pride is in my life, you'll lose your intimacy with God. So if there's a time in your life that you don't sense God in your life, could it be because of pride? Yes, it could be. And so as we look at this, the Lord said to him, there's three things that I'm going to let you choose. But if we went back and we looked, King David repented of what he did. And he said, Father God, I've done foolishly. So oftentimes our thoughts as human beings is this, that when we repent of our sins, we have the thought that because I repented, there's therefore now no consequences to what I did. And oftentimes, that's the only reason that a human being will repent, is because I don't want the consequences or the effect of my sin. Let me give you two analogies of that. Let's say that I... I murdered someone that was really close to Felix. And after I did that, I went to Felix and said, Felix, I was wrong. I did wrong. Would you forgive me? And he'd say, I forgive you. But that doesn't erase the consequences of my actions. And that's what's going on here with David. Let me give you another analogy. If any of you have ever had a teenager that's driving, and they've drove your vehicle, and they come in some night and say, I... I had a little bitty fender bender, Dad. Oh, happy day, Dad. And you go out and you look, and it is a little fender bender that's going to cost you several, several thousand to fix. But you say to your child, I forgive you. But guess what? When you get up the next morning, that fender's still bent. So literally, there's consequences for your actions So this is what's taking place with David here. So we get to verse 13. He gives him the, in verse 12, he gives him all the the consequences in verse 13. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. Oh, I second that motion. Thank God his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. So again, watch the consequences of his action. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel. And 70,000 men of Israel fell that day. You say, well, this isn't a big deal. No, it's huge. How would you like to be one of the 70,000 that fell that day? And so when you see a great leader fall... It affects many other people. And so the problem with King David again was he quit depending on God and he started looking at his own abilities and his power. Now, let me ask you something here. Do you take the blessings that God has blessed you with and do you use them against God? Now, we would never use that terminology But does does my attitude and my actions reveal that the very blessings and the very gifts that God's given me, I use them against Him? Let me give you some illustrations. If you are in a position of power and authority, do you use that blessing in the area of pride and arrogance against God? See, I I can use my talents. 
The very thing God's blessed me with. And some of you in here may be very beautiful. Some of us aren't. But if I'm not careful, I use the very blessing of looks that God's blessed you with, and I use it against God. It can be, uh, it can be talent. It, it can be everything uh, in your life that God has blessed you with, and you get this thought, look at me. Now let me give you my paraphrased edition of that. You've gotten a little bit too big for your britches. Now, I want to go back to verse 1 in this, because you've got to see this here, okay? Now, Satan stood up against Israel and moved David. Satan stood up against him. Remember that thought there. Satan moved against David. Turn back with me to your left to 2 Samuel chapter 24. This is cross-reference right here. Same, same story, just some different words here. 2 Samuel 24, verse 1. I can hear pages turn. Way to go. Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. Let me read that again. And again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And he, the Lord, moved David against them. But in 1 Chronicles 21, it said, Satan stood up against Israel and moved David. And when you look at this, it's almost a contradiction. So the question is, did God do it or did the devil do it? Let me tell you what's going on here. Because of the area of pride in David's life, God gave the devil permission to influence or to motivate the, uh, David. So literally, when I get over into the area of pride, you know what God does? He steps back. To prove this, go with me in the New Testament, the book of James chapter 4. James chapter 4, and we're going to be in the book of James, and then right after that, 1 Peter, because I want you to see something here today, because every one of us, we can get over into the area of pride. And the area of pride starts saying, I'm going to promote myself instead of Father God. James 4, verse 6. Now remember, if you've never studied the book of James, this book was written to brethren. This book was written to people in the church is who this is written to. Verse 6. But he gives more grace. But he gives more grace. Grace is an empowerment from God. Grace is a strength. So when it says more grace, I don't know about you, I can take all the grace of God that he'll give me. But he gives more grace. Now keep reading. Therefore, God resists or opposes the proud. Now get that. God resists or he opposes the proud. The only time in the Bible you'll find where God opposes people, and it's when they have the scent of being prideful. God hates pride, but he doesn't hate the person. Now, some of you will say, well, God doesn't hate anything. Yeah, he does. Proverbs 6, 16 says, there's seven things that God hates. Seven things are abomination to him, and the first one is a haughty look. You know what the second one is? Liars. 
Go and study it. Proverbs 6, 16. Understand again, God loves people, but he hates pride because he knows what pride will do to us. Verse 6. But he gives grace to the humble. So the more humble I am, the more grace he gives me. The word humble literally means there to bow low. It means an oil of humiliation. Let me help you a little bit with that. If you succeeded in your job or a business, who gets glory for that? Does God get the glory? Because when God gets the glory, that's the robe of humility. You may be blessed with incredible smartness, incredible wisdom, but who gets glory for it? See, even in the area of marriage, I can stand here and say, you know what, I've been, th- I've been married 38 years. You know what? I got it together as a husband. Not. Again, instead of saying, man, I, I've been blessed for 38 years of marriage because God's been so good to me, but instead when I try to reflect everything back on me, that's the oil of pride. Well, my kids are perfect. Woo. My home is perfect. Who gets the glory for all that? Same chapter, verse 10. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Again, look, look at the order here. That when I humble myself in the, in the sight of God, he said he would lift you up. He didn't say, I'm to lift myself up. Pat me on the back. Tell me how wonderful I am. Reaffirm my greatness. Wow. So again, we begin to see some things here in the Bible that God looks on. Now, turn just a couple pages. And you'll jump into 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, let me tell you here as you're going to 1 Peter 5. This is toward the end of the apostle Peter's life. And I can just tell you this. Peter had to learn humility. He learned humility. Remember, Peter was the disciple that was notorious for putting his foot in his mouth. So we pick up 1 Peter 5 verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Not a novel idea. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Now watch this. And be clothed with humility. The word or the phrase there to be clothed with humility, you know what it tells me? You're not born clothed with humility. It's not a natural state. Let me ask you this right now. When you got up this morning to come to church, did you have on the clothes you're wearing right now? Probably not. I hope not. What's your point? You chose what you wore today. That's the same with the robe of humility. I wake up and I say, Lord, put on humility on me today. Grace me with the robe of humility today. Grace me with that. So this is what he's talking about. And be clothed with humility. Why? God 
resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So again, you're going to have to purposely and deliberately put on humility day by day. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. See, again, anytime I exalt myself, I'm out of order. That's God's job. Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You know, when I go to God and I cast my care upon him, you know what I'm saying? Well, God, I don't know what to do, but you do. And God loves it when I become dependent on him. Verse 8. Be sober, self-controlled, and be vigilant or watchful. Now, why do you think Peter would tell us to be self-controlled or watchful or alert? Here's why. Because your adversary, your enemy, your opponent, the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So if we read into all of this, was he warning me and you that when we get in the area of pride and arrogance, that it opens the door to the devil. I believe that's exactly what he said. Because again, he said, your enemy, the devil, understand completely today, the devil's not your friend. He hates your guts. His goal is to wipe you out. And so when this area, he says, that he's seeking whom he may devour. He didn't say he's seeking whom he will devour. He said may. So the word may there is, hey, he's looking for permission. He can't just come in and wipe you out. So if I get over into the area of pride, have I opened myself up to him? Absolutely you have. And so this is what he's talking about. When I'm prideful, I'm influenced by the devil. When I'm humble, I'm influenced by God. I'm going to end this morning in this passage. Go with me to the book of Luke, chapter 22. Luke, chapter 22. And the reason we're going to end here is it has to do with our buddy Peter today. As you're turning to Luke 22, let me set the, let me set the stage for this chapter Jesus knows that his days here on earth are, are, are numbered now. And in this passage, he institutes the Passover, the communion elements. And he talks to him and he said, the cup is, is the blood that was shed for you. The bread is my broken body that was given for every one of you. And as he's talking about the communion elements, he says, and there's one sitting here at the table who's going to betray me. And that one is Judas. And then Jesus says to him, listen, fellas, now this is my paraphrase edition, no worries, fellas, I'm going to come back. Three days, I'm going to come back. So while Jesus is giving them this great information, you know what the disciples are doing? They're arguing among themselves who would be the greatest. Well, I'm more valuable to Jesus than you are. I, I go visit the people at the hospital. I'm more value. I, I preach so much better than. Well, I have the tongue and, and, the, and the voice of an angel. And so they're engaged in this who's the greatest among them. And this is where we pick up in verse number 31, Luke 22, 31. 
And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. And they're all sitting at this table and they're bickering back and forth about who's the greatest. And the Lord looks and he says, Simon, Simon. Now, as I looked at that part right here, who is Simon? He's the same guy, the guy we know was Peter. But when he addressed him as Simon instead of Peter, was Jesus implying here that this disciple would act like his old nature instead of his new nature? Now, we saw his old nature in 1 Peter 5. This is why I said earlier, Peter had to learn humility. And so when he says, Simon, Simon, was, was Jesus implying here that, Peter, shut up. You're the one sitting here telling everybody how great you are. I know Jesus didn't talk to him that way. Simon, Simon, now watch this. Indeed, Satan has asked for you. Satan has asked for you. The New American Standard says he's demanded permission. The Amplified says that you be given to him. Now, when you see the phrase there, Satan has asked for you, you know where that takes us back to? 1 Peter 5, 8. Your adversary, your opponent, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so right here, the Lord tells one of his disciples, Peter, who he called Simon, he said, the devil asked permission for you. What did he ask permission for? Look at this. That he may sift you as wheat. Better stated, that he may crush you like a grain of wheat. Now look at a little word in there that I think will help us. That he may sift you as wheat. He may. Was the may given permission because of the pride and the arrogance that was in him? Watch how the story goes out in place here. Verse 32. But I have prayed for you. This is the Lord Jesus. He's looking at him. He said, Pete, dude, I've prayed for you. Now watch what Jesus prayed for him. He said that your faith should not fail. He didn't say, I've prayed that you'll get away from him, you'll escape from him. He said specifically, I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. So what was his faith made up about? To trust and believe Jesus. He said, I prayed for you, dude, that you'll trust me and believe in me. Now watch how he ends this. That your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. When you return to me. So that phrase right there tells me that he's telling Peter, you're going to leave me. You're going to bail on me. You can't return back to him unless you've left. And so literally he's telling Peter, he said, you're going to fail. Wow. The New Living says, when you have repented 
and turn to me again. Now here's what's interesting about verse 32. The you that's used twice in that verse is plural. And you know what that it says it signifies? That me and you are going to be tested the same way Peter was. Areas of pride. So Jesus tells him specifically, you're going to turn away from me. Now this is incredible. Watch the next verse. Verse 33. But Peter said to the Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to die and to go to prison. So you know what Peter says here basically? I don't care what the rest of these losers do. I don't care if they desert you. I don't care if they turn their back to you. He said, I'm ready. I'm ready to go to prison with you, Lord. I'm ready to die with you. I got this. I got it. Now note what Jesus responds to him. Then Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. Here's my paraphrased edition of what Jesus just said to him. He said, Pete, you're full of yourself. You are so full of yourself that you're so full of yourself, you're not even going to make it through today. And so I look at all this, and here's the question. How much can God bless you with without you getting over to pride? Hmm. I mean, we can say, well, I can do this and this and this and this. Well, I can take you back to King David's life. When he was a shepherd boy, he was humble. When he fought Goliath, he was humble. When he had 50,000 underneath him, he was humble. But something happened when he got to 1,570,000, that pride came in. So could our greatest prayer be this, Lord, don't give me any more than I can handle? And so I believe this with God. This is how God likes to do us. He takes us to this step and he says, how humble you're going to be. And when you begin to say, Father God, you did it, then he'll move you this way. But it's bad, bad news when we go from here all the way to here and we get up here real quick because the worst thing that can happen to a human being is I succeed before I'm ready. And so this is what he's warning me and you about. And why is God so against pride? Because Proverbs 16, 18 says, before pride goes a fall, a stumble, destruction. Proverbs 16 or 29, 23 says, man's pride will bring him low. God knows what pride does to people. Happened to the devil. It happened to great men and women of God throughout the Bible. So I'm reading this week. And in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, it talks about the nine fruit of the Spirit. And when it says the fruit of the Spirit, it's the fruit that the Holy Spirit will birth on the inside of you. Do you know what one of those fruit is? It's called meekness or humility. I don't know the last time you've prayed for meekness or humility. Where you come before God and you said, Oh, Father God, saturate me. Saturate me with humility, Lord. Saturate me where every blessing you pour out on me, I return it back to you with praise. 
When's the last time you said, man, I'm, I'm blessed because of God. My marriage blessed because of God. My family's blessed because of God. Woo, my, my, my business is blessed because God gave it to me. And I'm, I'm so blessed with my children because God blessed me with them. See, again, that's what God's desire is, that everything that he blesses us, we come back and say, it's because of God. Oh, pastor, that's wrong. I got a Ph.D. Well, it's just an old post hole digger. That's all you are. <laughs> See, again, anytime I get over in these areas and I think I'm so much smarter than God, I'm so, I'm so much smarter than all of you. Have you heard me sing lately? Now, that's a statement of faith for me, but again, there's some of you. And again, it's people with great looks. That's why you see within Hollywood, people fall and fall and fall and fall because they get this place in their life. Look at me. Who do you think created you that way? Well, my mom and daddy. Well, where do you think they came from? Your mom and daddy didn't come from the, the monkey swinging on a tree, okay? God created every one of us. But again, when I get over into the area of pride in any area of my life, I resemble the devil like the prince of Tyre did what we started with. I'm not a God. I'm a creation. And I thank God that he wonderfully and fearfully created every one of us. And so when I live with the area of pride, it's an enemy called average. It'll keep you right here the rest of your life. I'll tell you, anytime you get promoted, anytime you get blessed, anytime you have any area of success in your life, here's the question. Who gets the glory? Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.